Hi, this is Ann Wu. I am Web Director of the Behavioral Science Health Services Research Assembly. For today's podcast, I have the honor of interviewing Andrea Apter, the recipient of this year's BSHSR Lifetime Achievement Award. She's had many different jobs, some in sequential order, some in parallel. She has been a math instructor, an allergy immunologist in private practice, an academic researcher, an associate editor of Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. She's a wife, mother, mentor, and since 2017, she has been an emeritus professor at University of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being willing to do this podcast. Um, can you start off by telling us about your childhood and your early influences? Sure, and, and thank you for the invitation. I'm honored. My oh, we're so happy to have you. My early childhood um, and early influences. Um, my mother worked at home. She never, that is, she never worked until my brother and I, who are close in age, I'm the older of the two siblings, um, and my mother was a home mother. Um, she never worked till after we went to college. Um, she always expressed um, disappointment and regret that she never went to college, that the family, her family was very poor, um, and she never had the opportunity. She later took the opportunity after we went off to college and graduated and herself graduated from um, Wesleyan University at age about 64 in our history. That's amazing. Wow. So that was an early childhood influence on me. I remember I remember her telling me that I would that um things like my brother my younger brother's education which was probably more important and that they offered to, they tr wanted to send him to private school and um um, and that he was up heading toward medical school, but um, it wasn't talked about for me. Um, I grew up thinking that women's careers were um, being a teacher or a nurse, um, never a physician. Um, other than that, um, I had a great childhood. Um, I went to school, had lots of friends. Um, music was always very important to me growing up. My father was a dentist, um, and his career seemed very appealing, although I never thought about it for myself, interestingly. Um, I, I would say I didn't think about these opportunities and these issues about career and direction as a child. So it's interesting that you grew up thinking women's jobs were being either a teacher or a nurse. I think this was really common for a lot of families. Um, but then you chose math. <laughs> so um, you were originally a math major at the University of Connecticut, and then you received a master's in math and was a math teacher for several years. Um, but then you switched um, to complete a post baccalaureate laureate pre-health program at University of Pennsylvania, uh, followed by an MD at Penn. Um, I was lucky enough to review your CV, uh, but what inspired you to go to medical school after being a math major and getting a master's in math? 
Well, I thought that I probably wasn't cut out for a career as a math as a theoretical mathematician. Um, so, after obtaining my master's degree, I started to teach, um, which I enjoyed very, very much. I taught first in an adult high school for um, for students who hadn't made it in U.S. high schools and usual public schools. I also taught um, students coming to this country who would be going to college. For example, I taught classes of Saudi Arabian men who were going to go on to college in the United States, and that was very interesting. And, I bet. And the school I taught in um, was um, financial was a was having financial difficulties, and so they just so I got laid off as a math teacher after a, I think two years, and I took a job as in a private girls' school as a math teacher, which I also enjoyed very much and admired um, the efforts of the teachers and the students there very much. And I guess I began to think about um, medicine again. I, that is, thinking about a career that it might be possible um, as I lo looked at the careers that my students chose and thought about. Um, and then um, I also, at that time, got training to be certified as a teacher, but it seemed very appealing to me to try to go to medical school. And I heard about the post-baccalaureate program and um, I started to, there were, I didn't have to take any of the math courses, but I had to take everything else. And um, the chemistry teacher at the private school I was where I was tutored me in chemistry, and then I tutored some of her students also in chemistry. And so I learned some chemistry that way. Um, and then went on to post the post-baccalaureate program, which to me was a huge treat. Um, it was a great opportunity to take physics. I'd never taken physics, and um, people who, mathematicians should like physics, and it was very wonderful to take it and to take chemistry. And um, Some of the classes I took with some of my former students from the private school, and then um, I was admitted to Penn. Wow, that's great. That's great, and that's amazing that you actually thought about some of the careers from about your from that your students were thinking about, and that kind of inspired you also. Um, I feel like you have had multiple careers in a short life. Um, so after, then you actually went into after training, you went into private practice in allergy immunology. Is that right? Uh, and general medicine. And That's general right. medicine. And, it was and then, um, I I should yes. Um, when I finished allergy training, um, there was my husband wanted to um, do a fellowship back in Connecticut, which is where I'm from, um, and there was no academic position available for me, so I joined a small rural practice that did uh, general medicine and. You're right, started also a private 
a practice in allergy for patients too. So I did both things. I made house calls, which was also very enlightening from my future research because I saw that um, the patients that needed house calls are patients who are um, sick and can't uh, have difficulties in their lives. It's not, you wouldn't go into a home that needed a house call where everything was necessarily in order. Patients were sick and needed help. So I did that for a year. I was admitting to a community hospital. Um, and then I also asked the University of Connecticut if they needed an allergist. They didn't have one at the, that time. Um, Dr. Ballow had been an allergist there. He's a pediatrician. And he had been there for many years and had moved on. And um, this time I applied to the Department of Medicine and they took me on. And they also took my husband, who became an interventional radiologist there. Wow. And then you actually um, then completed a program in clinical effectiveness at the Harvard School of Public Health. What made you decide to then get go and after you were doing all this, um, get get a master's of science? Um, well, I did like going to school, but when I was at UConn, I met um, a couple of very wonderful mentors. One was a pulmonologist. His name's Richard Zualik, and he's a member of ATS um, and a specialist in rehab. Um, uh, pulmonary rehab, and he had some electronic monitors to put on meter dose inhalers, and we started doing some research projects together. Um, he mentoring me, which for which I'm very grateful, and we started thinking about adherence. And another mentor, also at the University of Connecticut, was Susan Racine, who's a medical sociologist, and. They really um, introduced me to research. And then a colleague of theirs, a cardiologist, had done, a, had done the program in clinical effectiveness, and it made me think that I needed more training to do research. And so I found out more about the program. Um, the University of Connecticut was willing to let me take two summers off to be in Boston, um, the program in um, for those who are out of town, or is, is two summers in the intervening months, and you work on a research project in the intervening months. And that, too, was a wonderful experience for me. That's great. So I think you spent eight years at University of Connecticut. Um, you went from instructor to assistant professor to associate professor. Um, at what point did you do the clinical effectiveness program? It was a couple, it was um, probably, I'm guessing, four years in or so. In. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then you um, actually returned to Penn, right? Um, tell me about that. So I was recruited back to Penn. I had been trying to get um, grants. I had applied for, um, um, it was called a CAP program that was um, sponsored by the NIH and part of the what used to be the General Clinical Research Center. And um, I didn't, at U University of Connecticut, and I didn't get that. 
research grant, and one of the comments was that there was no mentor there for me. I thought that there were mentors for me. There was no allergy mentor for me. And then when I was recruited um, to Penn, the main reason for going was to be able to do research and also to experience all the opportunities at Penn. That's great. That's great. Um, I also know you've been an associate editor at Jackie Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology since 2003. Um, how have you balanced that work with all of your research and clinical work? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I have things pending right now um, that I should be doing. Um, but I really like being part of this editorial effort. It's, um, I learn a lot. Um, it's very rewarding. Um, it, it keeps me in shape in terms of knowing what's, um, what people are thinking. Um, so I don't know how I have time, but it's a very important part of my life. That's great. We're lucky you do that, also have that role also. Um, and then how about work-life balance? Tell me about your work-life balance and how it's changed through your life. Oh, dear. Um, balance, I'm not sure about. Um, but one thing I am sure about is that the accomplishments that I've made have to do with my family and my husband. Um, I could never um, do all of these things if he weren't. Um, a partner and um, very helpful in all of this. I have to admit, I rarely go to a grocery store. He does. Um, um, I used to like to cook. I don't cook very much anymore. Yep, me too. And um, so I'm very grateful. And my son, I have one uh, child's son who's now 30. Um, he too is has been very, very helpful and um, supportive. Um, so that's part of my life outside of um, work. Um, the other thing is that I and my husband, um, we play music. I play flute. He plays um, violin originally, also viola, also cello. And we play chamber music and we play in a klezmer group and um, a lot of the time that I have that's away from work has to do with music. That's amazing. So you that's a big commitment, but you still play now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow, great. Um, and then going back a little bit to your research, tell me about what research finding you are most proud of. I meant to think about that a little bit more. Um, yeah. I'm I'm most interested at least in trying to understand how um, to make health better for um, low income vulnerable um, patients. I can't say that I found the answer. Um, but I've come to realize how much goes on outside of 
the practice itself that physicians um, don't see. Um, perhaps we did when we made house calls. Um, and how many, how many, how much, how many barriers there really are to health that has to do with social determinants of health. So the projects I suppose I'm most proud of are the ones I'm trying to write up right now. Um, I don't, and um, projects like this don't come up with magic answers and um, magic p-values. So um, it's really going to be important to try to explain these projects and um, so that um, opportunities for healthcare become more equalized in this country. Yeah, you are very modest, but I, 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 um, I think that it's true, even though there are no magic answers, addressing these issues is the first step. So you've definitely made a lot of contributions here, and I look forward to reading this work that you're writing now. Um, you've really had um, a really successful career and continue to. Um, what do you think was the biggest catalyst so far? You've kind of mentioned your family, um, maybe uh, your your husband um, being a partner, and the way you grew up probably um, affected you also. Um, uh, do you have any other thoughts? Um. No, I, I really think that the mentors I've had all along have been very important. Um, uh, the, in every stage, there have been mentors and people who have been willing to um, help me. Um, the mentors at um, the private girls' school, it's called the Baldwin School where I taught, um, the mentors in the um, post-baccalaureate program, the mentors um, in the allergy program. Um, one thing I didn't mention was I trained in allergy at Northwestern um, where Roy Patterson um, was chief. And before clinical research was popular, he really did clinical research. He tried to address questions that were relevant to patients directly. And I think that was very important as well. And I mentioned the um, mentorship at, at UConn of the medical sociologist and uh, Dr. Sahulalik. Um, that's been very important to me as well. Um, and what is important to me now also is to be able to be a mentor. I think that's one of the things that I take the most um, pleasure in and is mentoring others, which I have been doing. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I mean, it seems like you've found mentors everywhere, and that's probably one of the reasons you are such a good mentor. You really know um, what what makes up a good mentor. So. Um, I always feel like we learn a lot from our failures. Um, can you think of a failure you've had? Oh. <laughs> I ask hard questions, huh? <laughs> um, that's interesting. Um, 
Well, I never, I didn't get the initial job I wanted out of um, training, but um, usually not getting something is really a marker for um, changing things and thinking about things and achieving something else. So while I didn't get the perfect job, I suppose, or opportunity that I wanted out of um, training, I certainly learned what one needed to do and how to get other opportunities. I think that's what happens to everybody. I have to, failure is good for people, unfortunately. I agree. I agree. Um, and finally, I noticed that since 2017, you've been officially an emeritus professor at Penn. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? Because I've noticed that you are also still a PI and site PI on multiple grants. Um, so it doesn't seem like you're an emeritus professor. No, it doesn't seem like it to me either. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what emeritus means. Um, I'm not ready to stop doing what I'm doing. Um, I, I, yeah. So how did you end up with that title? Oh, that's a long story that um, I would tell you off the podcast. Okay, that sounds great. All right, thank you so much. Is there anything you feel you'd like to add or anything for the listeners? Um, no. Um, just thank you for the opportunity, and I'm happy to talk to anybody um, about any of the topics that interest them that I might have mentioned today. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks again for talking with me today. Okay. Thank you very okay. much. Thanks.